at another Thursday as far as Bible study is concerned, and we are certainly delighted that you have been able to join us uh, for this time as we continue our study in First Peter. Thank you so much for your diligence as far as joining in. It is my prayer as well as my desire that you have been blessed uh, over these last several weeks as far as these moments of study, particularly on uh, the letter that is credited to the chief of the apostles, Peter, uh, in writing to the early burgeoning church in Jerusalem. What I want to do is uh, have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. We want to focus on the first four verses, which should be very intriguing uh, because it's really talking about the role of the pastor. And I want to really drill down on that to hopefully share some insights about what it is that uh, we are expected to do from a biblical and apostolic perspective uh, and uh, hopefully um, give even greater insight into what it is that we do now in this modern time. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we sense and seek uh, the presence of the master rabbi. God, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and as we prepare to study your word, we pray that you will illuminate our hearts, that you will open our minds to understand, and then God, give us the spirit to apply it, what we gather and glean to our lives so that we can be better disciples for you. God, we ask right now that uh, the master rabbi, Jesus our Christ, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit be in this moment, teach us your precepts. Let your word continue to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God shall stand forever. And it is on this word that we study right now because it is on this word that we shall stand. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Scriptures. And we will uh, walk through this with um, some sense of um, intentionality. And I'll be having you all to highlight certain things. And it reads, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that would be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So let's look at doing some markup as far as this particular passage of scripture is concerned. And um, I'm going to ask if you would 
to highlight and underline uh, some, some things. So let's get started. We see uh, the elders who are among you, if you would, uh, circle the word elders. I exhort, and if you would, underline the word exhort. I who am a fellow elder, if you would, circle that word elder and then draw a line from that word elder in the B clause to elders in the A clause. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. If you would highlight the phrase, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and then I want you to circle the word witness. I want you to circle the word witness. And also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. I highlight the phrase, a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, and I want you to underline the word partaker. Now, just on this alone, I can really have some fun, but we're going to do some deep drill downs as far as these words are concerned. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, highlight that phrase, which is among you, serving as overseers, highlight the phrase serving as overseers, and now I want you to circle, I mean, yeah, uh, underline the word overseers. Not by compulsion. I want you to highlight the phrase not by compulsion. Not for dishonest gain. I want you to highlight the phrase not for dishonest gain. And then what I want you to do is I want you to circle the word compulsion and I want you to circle the word dishonest gain. Verse three, nor is being lords over those who are entrusted to you. I want you to highlight the phrase uh, being lords over those entrusted to you. And then I want you to circle the word lords. But being examples, I want you to highlight the phrase. I want you to um, circle the word examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, if you were to highlight the phrase, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade. If you would highlight the phrase, the crown of glory that does not fade away. All right. Now, in this final chapter of First Peter, in the final chapter of First Peter, or his first letter, um, he is emphasizing a responsibility within the church in the light of the persecution that they are enduring. <clears throat> he is encouraging the elders 
to shepherd the people. Uh, he is encouraging young people to submit to their elders. He is encouraging everybody else to stand firm in their faith. So what we want to do right now is we want to focus on the role of the elders or the pastors. And so what we see is that Peter in verses one through four is really giving some insight from what he gleaned from the scriptures, particularly Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 16. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 16, um, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was prophesying against false shepherds. Okay? As a matter of fact, he is very intentional as he deals with these false shepherds in contrast to the true shepherd. And as he unpacks that responsibility as far as the false shepherd is concerned, you'd be surprised that a lot of what he dealt with then are a lot of things he is dealing with right now. I just want to, if I could, just give you some snippet of what he was talking about. Ezekiel basically says in Ezekiel 34, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherd, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened. Nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And it became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds of the Lord, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely my flock became a prey. My flock became food for every beast of the field and there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed the flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of God. Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep. The sheep shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out the flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in good pasture. 
and their foes shall be in the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and make them lie down, says the Lord. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up what was broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Wow. That is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel about what the religious leaders were doing to the people during the time that Ezekiel was prophesying. Ezekiel, in a sense, is giving a prophetic utterance to the coming of the great shepherd who is none other than Jesus Christ and how Jesus will one day turn the people back to God and feed the sheep. It is interesting to note that Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. And of course, you can see those meanderings in John chapter 10. Here's where I really, and this ain't got nothing to do with the lesson, but since I'm there, I'm going to give it to you for free because I really want to clear up a perception that a lot of us have when it comes to reading the Bible and how we have, unfortunately, misinterpret certain passages of scripture. Um, and, and, and it comes within the context of what I'm dropping on you all here. And, and, and can I bless you all real good before I get into the lesson? Can I bless you real good? Cause this, this, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Here's the verse I really want to drive home right now and give you the proper interpretation because we so often misappropriate it and misinterpret it. Verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Now, as I get ready to drill down on, on this, that verse 10, who is the thief? Who is the thief that Jesus is referring to? Who, who, who is that thief? I don't know if you're putting something in the chat, but if you're putting something in the chat, put who you think the thief is. Who's the thief? You know how many, what many people have interpreted the thief to be? Satan. And when they quote this verse, they're referring to Satan. However, let me give you a corrective. This is not about Satan. This is about false religious teacher. This is in reference to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. This, this is not in reference to Satan per se, but this is in reference to the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the teachers of scripture. And so Jesus is saying, they have messed you up. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. 
Now, I know that's a major revelation. So when you start quoting this verse, stop referring to it as devil. Because first thing, when something go wrong, you say, ooh, the devil comes seek, kill, destroy. That ain't about the devil. That's about false teachers. And let me submit, we got false teachers. And today, now, let's be honest, the devil has something to do with false teaching, but that ain't him per se that is being referred to. God knows we have that going on in today's society. So let me, let me get ready to have some fun with you all. So here is the apostle Peter basically sharing in the responsibility of shepherding the flock. So when we look at verse 5, we see the elders who are among you, I exhort. The elders who are among you, I exhort. Um, the elders back then carried a great responsibility for the congregation. Okay? Because in the book of Ezekiel, where the judgment is said to begin with the elders who are in the front of the temple. That's in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 6. In Peter's day, the elders did several things. Number one, the elders provided supervision, protection, discipline, instruction, and direction for other believers. Let's look at it. supervision, protection. Protection, watch this, from false teaching. Discipline. Good discipline as well as rebuking when a person had gone astray, instruction, the instruction in the doctrines and direction for other believers as far as service is concerned. All right. So modeling the role of the elder in the Jewish synagogue, they brought that and they superimposed it into the church. The elders were the appointed leaders of the church. They were like the pastors. And notice, Peter says, I am a fellow elder. The elders led the church by teaching sound doctrine, by helping believers to grow and mature spiritually, and by equipping believers to live for Jesus despite opposition and persecution. Okay? So the elders got a lot of responsibility. Sound doctrine. We are living in a world and in a time, and particularly when it comes to the Baptist church, a lot of us still don't know why we do what we do because we don't want to be taught. I wish I had more people to join me in Bible study then on Sunday morning so you can get some teaching. And so that you can, if you have questions, ask questions and have interaction. You can't do that in worship, but you can do it in Bible study and in Sunday school. This is why it is important for you to get just as much teaching as you do preaching. And here at St. Paul, through Sunday Morning Live, through TNT, our Bible study, uh, small groups, you get teaching. Why? Because there is a lack of 
people knowing what they believe and why they believe what they believe. This is why people like the Nation of Islam can come in and snatch up our folks. This is why um, uh, the, the, the black Hebrew Israelites can come in and talk and make something sound scripture. And because we don't know scripture, they can snatch people away. I, 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 I've been blessed. There's this book out called Urban Apologetics that is edited by Dr. Eric Mason. Dr. Eric Mason is the pastor of the Epiphany Fellowship in uh, Philadelphia. It is a great book because the book Urban Apologetics is dealing with how do we combat the heresies and these different uh, 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 beliefs that is infiltrating our churches. How is it that we help our people to understand why they are followers of Jesus Christ and combat the craziness that is being inundated with them as far as society is concerned? We lose a lot of young people, high schoolers, college students, because they don't know what they believe. And they go off to various colleges and they hook up with cults. And next thing you know, they're gone. Why? Because, and I'm put this at the feet of the parents, number one, it's incumbent upon you to know what you believe. And number two, you got to teach in your household as well. And then number three, you need to at least demand that they attend some form of teaching as far as church is concerned if they're living in your house. Yep, I said it. I lay this at the feet of the parents. And I also lay it at the feet of the church. Because we have to teach our people why we believe what we believe. That's why for here at St. Paul, you're not considered full-fledged until you go through CEO. Because at least as CEO, we start wrestling with why we do things the way we do here at St. Paul. So, so it's important because what winds up happening with a lot of young people, particularly those of African-American descent, is that when they go off, somebody tell them, well, you know, Christianity ain't nothing but the white man's religion, and they are clueless to the fact that Christianity has its origins, its doctrinal beginnings, and its foundation not in Europe but in Africa. But they're told, you know, Christianity is white man's religion, and they just go off and bring that stuff back. Why? Because they don't know truth. And this book has, has really been a blessing to me. Um, um, because while I know a lot of this stuff, it really tightens up and confirms why I do what I do. Here, 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 here's what I really want to impress upon us here at St. Paul, because here at St. Paul, and probably in a lot of churches, but particularly here at St. Paul, we do mission well. You know, we, we you know, I make a call as far as, as, as church is concerned. Uh, we need to be a blessing to somebody. You all step up. Uh, uh, we need to send something to, to someone who is suffering. You all step up. You all do good works. But part of the problem is many of us don't know why we do what we do. We don't know what we believe. That's why sound doctrine is very important. Because guess what? Your beliefs become your practice. 
your beliefs become your practice. And it is part of teaching you that is equipping you to live for Jesus. It is through preaching and teaching that empowers you to live for Jesus. This is why I take preaching and teaching very seriously. This is why I just don't let anybody stand before my congregation to preach or teach. I'm held as pastor responsible for whatever you get as far as your spiritual diet is concerned, God is going to hold me accountable for that. So I'm very particular about who I bring before this congregation. I have to be because ultimately I'm going to be held accountable for that. So no, I don't go with, you know, everything that is popular and everything that is groovy and everything that is cool and hip because there are some times when some people say some stuff that if they say it during the preaching or teaching moment, some of you all will grasp it and it will take me a year to clean it up. That's why I'm very particular. Why? Because ultimately I'm the resident theologian. That's my role as a pastor. That's my role as a shepherd. Okay. Now, let's continue. So Paul says, I'm a fellow elder. I mean, Peter says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow elder. And then he says, look at this word, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So let's talk about him being a fellow elder because he is identifying with the other church leaders. Now, <clears throat> here at St. Paul, other church leaders may be staff ministers, deacons, board of directors. Uh, those are leaders as well. I lead with them. Okay. Now, I want you to know something because Peter is letting them know I'm in the same boat with you all. And since judgment is going to be again at the house of God, Peter says, I got to speak from personal experience. Now, the other elders were very familiar with Peter's story. What was Peter's story? That he had denied Jesus three times. That he left Jesus hanging. But then that Jesus had forgiven him and empowered him to serve and on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached with such vim and vigor that 3,000 people wanted to know what must we do to be saved. 3,000 people started the church. Now, when he says a witness of Christ's suffering, let's put the hate where the cows could get it. Peter wasn't at the Calvary. Peter wasn't at the cross. Peter wasn't at Jesus' crucifixion. So the word witness in this text is not eyewitness. You got to know what the Greek is. The word witness in the text in the Greek is martyr. Ooh. Can I do a little teaching for a moment? Martyr. Martyr. That's what the word in the Greek witness is. It is martyr. It's where we get the modern word martyr. Peter 
Peter will become a martyr for the church because tradition holds that Peter would die on a cross upside down. That he would suffer like Christ has suffered. But he wanted them to also know that just as he participated in the sufferings of Christ, I'm trying not to shout, that one day he will partake in the glory that shall be revealed. Question is, are you willing to be a martyr and suffer? Because this is what you need to understand, that when you become a shepherd, when you become a pastor, uh, when you become an elder, when you become a leader in the church, every now and then, folks will kill you. Be it physical, emotional, relational, financial, or even spiritual. See, when the rubber hits the road, ain't really much glory in being a pastor or an elder. It's a lot of headaches. It's a lot of stuff that go on behind the scene that folks don't see. You like the sausage, but you don't want to see how the sausage is made. And for those who suffer for the sake of Christ will one day partake in his glory. Let, let, me, let me just, let me, let me share with you how, 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 how this stuff can get to pastors. Over the last few years, one of the highlights is that a lot of pastors have been committing suicide. Suicide. Because the pressure. A lot of pastors have become depressed. A lot of pastors have walked away from the church and ministry. Paul can be great. But yet Peter is saying, as I become a martyr, I will partake in the glory. Peter, as well as believers who endure to the end, will share in the glory of God. Let's look at verses two and three. Because really verse two, three, and four, but really all of these verses is one sentence. <laughs> verses one through four is one sentence. It is a compound complex sentence. So notice what Peter says, shepherd, the 
flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. This is a command. The word shepherd is a verb. Shepherd. Peter commanded that the elders shepherd the flock. What does a shepherd do? Feed the flock. What does a shepherd do? Care for the sheep. What does the shepherd do um, when the wool gets heavy? Uh, take the wool off so that the sheep can move. What does the shepherd do that when the sheep become cast, that means that they are over on their back and they can't move, that the shepherd comes and rubs the stunner so that the gas that had built up during that time can come out and then turn the sheep over so it could get back on its feet. The word shepherd means to care for the flock. And we as pastors, elders, leaders, are to be like shepherds who lead, who guide, who protect the sheep. Now, this is, this is very important. Because when you're going through persecution, you need to have good leaders as you face persecution. We, we were being persecuted by this pandemic. This virus, COVID-19, persecuted us as a society and as a church. And unfortunately, there were some shepherds who were more concerned about themselves than they were about their people and they put their people at risk especially during the early days of the pandemic. All right? So, elders were to be like shepherds who lead, who guide, and who protect the sheep under their care. Now, we see the word overseer here, um, and this word overseer is kind of interchanged with Shepherd. Now, the word overseer in the Greek is episkopos, which is where we get the word episcopal, which is where we get the word bishop. Okay. Now, in today's culture, you got all kinds of crazy. You got bishop, overseer, all that stuff. But, but, but here, the word overseer and bishop really are of the same derivative as far as the Greek is concerned. And so the word overseer was, was like that person that was administrating or overseeing the responsibility of others. All right. Now, this is more than just the tone of 21st century management and supervision and trying to boss folks around. This is really being concerned to ensure that people's souls were being well fed and taken care of. And this is why the, the early disciples were so vigilant in fighting heresy. This is why there were so many um, uh, um, uh, 
corrections that came up when anything challenged the personhood and the deity of Christ. This is why the early church wrestled in such a way when it came to who Jesus really was. And now, here's what I want to bless you with. All of that, you all, was developed within the content, the continent, rather, of Africa, Asia, not Europe. By the time Europe came to the scene, as far as Christianity is concerned, the foundation had been laid, particularly through the early church fathers. So they basically picking up and then they kind of corrupted a lot of the stuff that had been laid down and used Christianity to perpetuate um, erroneous thinking, particularly when it came to war and conquest and things of that sort. Let me move on. So here is, is Peter telling us, you are to serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Okay? Not by compulsion, but willingly. An elder's motive must be from willingness, not from a sense of external compulsion. Not because you must, but because you are willing. Now, I can see somebody saying, well, what, what, what is, is a calling a compulsion? If you feel called to ministry, isn't that a compulsion? Well, yeah, it is. But let me, if I could, when we talk about compulsion, you can willingly accept your call or you can grudgingly accept. And if you grudgingly accept it, you wind up like Jonah. I don't want to go and preach to them Ninevites. So I'm going to jump on the ship and head to Tarshish. And really what Peter is saying, don't, don't do this out of compulsion. Don't feel like you are being made to do it, but have a willingness to do it. He is also saying social and financial pressures should not be substituted for you doing the will of God. You don't do this for money, but because you are eager to serve. Now, let me clear up something real quick. It doesn't mean you don't compensate people. Because I can see somebody saying that. I don't know why we're paying preachers and pastors. No, it doesn't mean you can't compensate them. Here's what I want you to understand. If you, if you don't get nothing else, get this today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is free. You can't pay for it. It is invaluable. You can't pay for it. You can't pay for the gospel. But God knows you can certainly take care of shipping and handling. Somebody will catch that when we log off. Right? So shepherds who serve with false motives only care for themselves and they devoured the flock. They did not feed the flock they used the flock they, let me say that again they did not feed the flock they used the flock now why is this important because Peter becomes a pillar of the church because of his connection to Jesus but remember Peter denied Jesus post resurrection 
Jesus comes to Peter and says something to the effect, uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He comes back a second time, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs, care for the sheep. Third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter grieved because he said the third time, you know that I love you. You know all things. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now watch this. In the first two scenarios, when Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? The word love in the Greek is agape. Peter responds by saying, Lord, you know, I love you, philia, friendship. I want you, this is very important. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Peter responds, Lord, I love you as a friend. Second time, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? <laughs> Peter says, Lord, I love you as a friend. You my boy. You my dude. I got you. Watch how Jesus flips it. The third time, Jesus does not ask Peter, does he love him unconditionally? He comes down to Peter's level. He said, Peter, do you really love me as a friend? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So, so, so Jesus comes down to Peter's level. And Peter, again, is now convicted. So Peter thinks of himself as a pastor first. He knows what that's like. And, 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 and his identification with the elders is a powerful example of spiritual leadership where authority is not predicated upon power but on service. Teaching, preaching, serving, caring, tending. Now, in today's culture, you know, um, folks say, you know, well, what about your uh, academic credentials? Where you go to school? Did you go to seminary? And now, academic credentials, that's fine. You, you need to go to seminary. Uh, but that does not qualify you to be a Christian leader. Because you can go to seminary, you get all that knowledge and still be mean and hateful and not care for the people. So, so what do you need to have? You, you need to have a heart for people. You need to help people grow in their faith. That, that's got to, to be a delight for you. Okay. All right. You got to be honest about yourself. You got to understand you can't do it all and that you're not perfect. 
You got to have a realistic appraisal of yourself and you got to have a growing faith in God. Okay. As a pastor, our lives each day depends on God's supply for money, for energy, for maturation. Good shepherds get to know the great shepherd very well and we follow his dictates. Let me get ready to wrap this thing up. It has gotten good to me, uh, but I need to bring this home. And it's amazing what we've been able to pull out of just these four verses. But notice he says, um, not because you must, but because you're willing, not greedy for money or dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So this is what we have to be very careful about. Number one, wrong motivation. As a pastor, we must lead not out of compulsion, but out of the eagerness to serve. Not for social pressure or self-gratification, but to serve, to please God. Oftentimes, um, um, it's it's hard to, to really get good pastors because a lot of folks don't want to serve by preaching and teaching and caring for the flock. The other thing is wrong goals, not greedy or eager for a dishonest gain. In many churches, elders are paid for their service. All right. And what Peter is saying is don't abuse the trust of the people. Both Peter and Paul talked about how elders ought to be taken care of and how they should not be worried about trying to get money that they should be so taken care of that they can do the work of service because guess what not having money can lead to as much as preoccupation with funds as having a lot of money I believe I heard Dr. Claudette Copeland said this so well and it blessed me. The Bible says when when Peter was writing to his son Timothy in the ministry and he said, for the love of money, the love, L-O-V-E, the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And Dr. Claudette Copeland said, yep. She said, that's correct. She said, and the lack of money is too. Amen. And then wrong methods. Not lording or bossing or being a tyrant over those entrusted, but but being examples. In other words, not forcefully domineering or subduing, not abusing your authority. It requires humility and servanthood. 
pastor know that he or she is right. You're not expected to bully people and steamroll folks. Let me go ahead and bring it, bring it on in. Peter says, and the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The chief shepherd is none other than Jesus Christ. And what Peter is dealing with here is he's talking about when the chief shepherd appears, he's talking about the second coming. When Jesus will judge everybody, that basically the believers will receive a crown of glory. That's our motivation for doing the work. Our motivation is to get the crown of, of glory that God has for us. Now, this crown of glory is not some literal crown that you're going to wear on your head, but a common glory that all of us will share with Christ. Paul talks about getting the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4, 8, when he talks about, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Uh, James talks about the crown of life. Um, uh, John talks about the crown of life in Revelation 2. And, and the crown is really a symbol of you having one. But the crown that we have shall never fade. The crown that we're going to get one day is going to be eternal, unending, and unchanging. The, the, the crown that God has for us cannot be tarnished by the environment of this, of this world. The reason that I do what I do is ultimately not because of getting a paycheck or the applause of the people. That stuff comes and goes. See, one day, if the Lord tarries and the Lord allows for me to get uh, older, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to always pastor a church. I'm not going to always pastor a church. But I am working for my crown. See, one day I'm not going to be getting paid from the church. But as the Lord allows me to have life of strength, I'll still be working for my crown. Am I making any sense? And, 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 and all believers, guess what? Is going to be declared a winner. And that ought to be the source of why we do what we do. The song that gets me that I hear at funerals now and whenever I hear this song, it just does something to me. I shall wear a crown. When it's all over, I'm going to put on my robe and tell the story how I made it over. I shall wear a crown. That, 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 that slow song gets me every time. The question that I bring before you today is will you have your crown if you want what God has for you be it as an elder pastor as a church leader or as a believer as a disciple of Jesus Christ understand that you and I are working for our eternal reward.
It's that crown of life, that crown of righteousness that God has for us. And I want to hear him say, well done. You good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Come on up and enter the joy of the Lord. Amen. Well, I hope that this lesson has blessed you today. And um, just want to let you know that here at St. Paul, um, as we are in the process of getting ready to really ramp up and intensify um, a reentry plan, I, I want to thank each and every one of you all who are watching us for how you have been faithful and diligent in participating in Bible study and in worship and in giving. And what I want to do right now is give you an opportunity to be gracious and generous if you are so led. And so at this moment, if you want to, you can give to the St. Paul Church. You can either drop off your check, money order, or cash here at the church. You can call the church at 704-334-5309. Make sure someone is here to receive your offering. If you drop it off, we're going to put it in a safe and it'll be counted the following Sunday. Or you can go to our website and through either ACS or Church Life, you can give in that manner. Or you can mail your check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, zip 28205. Or you can give through the app called Givelify. If you don't have that app on your smart device, dial, smart device, download that app, connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks, you can give. So I want to encourage you to uh, be gracious and generous. Your giving has been a blessing to empower us to be a blessing as far as mission and ministry is concerned. Uh, as we share with those who are hungry, as we've been a site for COVID vaccinations and testing, uh, as we've helped people with utilities and rent, uh, as we are making uh, preparations to continue to do uh, upkeep here at the church, your giving, your graciousness, make that a work of reality. God knows I wish I could go to the different utility companies or our different vendors and say, ring it up, Jesus paid it all, but it doesn't work like that. Jesus empowers us to be a blessing. So I want to encourage you to do that right now. But listen, I hope and pray that this has blessed you. Next week, Lord said the same. We will pick up uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 5 of 1 Peter and finish this chapter up. God bless you. Have a smile upon you. Take care of yourself and be blessed.